What could be wrong with a huge inheritance? Copping for the lot sometimes isn't what it's cut out to be. Hi, and welcome to day six of the Dark Christmas Tales Advent Calendar. This tale is called Wreath, written by Angela Blythe and read by the author. I repeated the area and street name back to Chris to confirm that I had it right. He hung up. I tore off the paper with the details and picked up my car keys. It was 4pm. I hadn't expected his call. I thought I'd see him turn up at my door long before this time. Chris had taken the afternoon off to go to the reading of his grandmother's will. I'd never met her and she seemed to be persona non grata in their family. Privately, I'd asked Chris why and he said even he didn't know. All that he had been aware of growing up was that if you mentioned her, it always seemed to put people in a bad mood, so he didn't. He thought he could remember her very briefly, but he must have been about three years old. That was over 30 years ago. He couldn't remember ever going to where she lived, and the one instance that he had seen her was a Christmas at his parents' house. On that day, he clearly remembered that there had been a huge row when she turned up at the door. Something about his grandfather, who was still about, but hadn't turned up that day. When she died, Chris and all the members of his family were called to the reading of the will. He asked me if I wanted to go, as I was his wife and thus a member of the family. I saw no point in going to the reading of a will that didn't involve me. They're usually horrible affairs. I've been to two will readings before. They were morose and nasty events in my experience. There was always someone a bit down because they didn't get that piece of jewellery that they always wanted. There was usually someone who caught for the lot and then everyone else resented them for it. I asked Chris what he thought he might get. He said he had no idea. Chris imagined that it could be a memento of some kind, and he was happy about that. He personally had nothing against his grandmother, and would have liked something to remember her by. From his short experience as a child, Chris thought he liked her, and he felt that she sort of liked him. He had nothing against her, and he couldn't think of a reason why he should have. Seen as though everyone else was tight-lipped about her, he wasn't persuaded otherwise. Chris sounded very strange on the phone and refused to tell me what he had been bequeathed. He asked me to go to a place about ten miles away. It was a town I had driven through once, and that was only because I had taken a wrong turning. North Town was one of those places that you only went to if you had to. Someone once told me that it had a few excellent restaurants, so on the drive there I hoped that Chris had been left a small sum of money and we were going out for dinner. It was a strange place to pick, but Chris made odd choices sometimes, don't we all? He told me to meet him on a particular street, and I entered it into my sat-nav. When I drove past where all the shops and restaurants were, I really wondered where I was going. It was a cold and foggy day, and I was driving on unknown terrain. Soon, thankfully, the sat-nav told me that I was on the correct street, I had no other details and didn't know what address I was going to precisely, so I pulled up in the first space I found and rang Chris. 
I'm here, parked just on the road by a post box, I said. OK, I know where you are then, Chris replied. He hadn't seen me turn up because of the fog. I got out of my car and heard a car door slam about 15 cars down. A minute later, I heard footsteps coming towards me. Even in the bad lighting conditions, Chris looked pale and shocked as he came towards me. Knowing him so well, I could tell he was both worried and excited. This was getting quite the mystery, especially in my boring life. I don't have many thrilling landmarks. I couldn't wait to see what he had. As he got further towards me, I could see that he had something in his hand. I was betting that it was a watch, but why I had to come here to see it, I didn't know. Chris came up to me and hugged me really tight, for much longer than usual. He stepped back, and without a word, he opened his hand before me. It wasn't a watch. It was an unfamiliar set of keys. What are they for? I asked. Chris dry swallowed. My grandmother left me a house and a business, Chris replied. What? I exclaimed, both hands going up to my mouth in shock. Are you serious? Yes, Chris said simply. What did the others get? I asked. Nothing at all. It's that my grandmother asked the family there just to rub their noses in it, Chris said. I felt a bit like a pawn in a game of revenge at first. Oh no. I said. It was as I thought, a standard will reading, the split family. I was glad I wasn't involved. There wasn't a row, was there? I asked. No, on the contrary. Everyone seemed quite relieved that they hadn't got it, Chris said, shaking his head. I could tell he was shocked and also couldn't understand what had gone on all afternoon. I laughed. Must be cursed, I said. And I was joking. But you know what they say about many a true word being said in jest. Don't say that, Chris said warily. You don't know the full story. My joviality stopped instantly. I could see that Chris was serious about this. Go on, what aren't you telling me? I asked. The business. It's a funeral home, Jenny, Chris said quietly. Ooh, creepy. I said, you never told me your grandmother had a funeral home. That's because I never knew, Chris said. We didn't talk about it. Everyone else knew, so it was no shock to them. I shivered involuntarily. I felt like something had just walked over my grave. That explains the lack of jealousy, Chris. It's got to be the worst present you've ever had, I said. Anyway, Chris said, finally closing his fingers around the keys. Let's go see how bad this present is. He held my hand as we walked closer to his car. He hadn't found the exact house yet. On this street, there were quite a few high walls, trees and bushes. These weren't modest homes. They were the type that people usually converted into guest houses or retirement homes. I could tell Chris was quite worried about it all. Although it was nice to get an inheritance, it was also bittersweet with the nature of the business involved. We don't know anything about running a funeral home. I don't want to find out, do you? I asked, hoping he would say no. No, Jenny, 
I don't know why someone would go into that field, although obviously there have to be some people that do it, and it's probably very lucrative, Chris said. We could just sell it on. Nothing is saying that I can't. Great, there's no reason for the long face then. It won't be long before we have a nice nest egg. That's probably what your gran was planning, I said. The house didn't have a number. It had a name. Morth House. We walked along looking at the carved names on each gateway. Was that your gran's name, Morth House? I asked. No, she was named Daniels. Vera Daniels, Chris said. This street was called Acacia Avenue. We discovered that it wasn't a through road either. It was a cul-de-sac. We'd read every name in the street and deducted that the very last house at the bottom of the street, the biggest one, now belonged to Chris. When we got there, we looked at the moss-covered carved house name on the gateway. It was hard to see in this light, but we could make out the M and the O at the beginning. Chris rubbed at the dirt with his fingers to reveal that it was the right house. The letters had been carved in capitals. There was a short space showing us that it wasn't one word, but two. It wasn't Morth House. It was Mort House. Mort, the Latin root word for death. Suitably grim, I commented. The walk was still strewn with autumn leaves, but it was well into winter now. There was a slight curve in the drive with unkempt trees either side. It was a minute or so walk before we could actually see Mort House in the flesh. It was huge and old. A giant creepy old house, darkly brooding at the bottom of the avenue. Proper Adams family. I would bet kids dared each other to go up to that place and ring the bell. Oh God, Chris, this would be depressive and scary even in the brightest sunlight, I said. He seemed to be in horrified awe about his inheritance, so didn't reply. In the summer, it would have still seemed oppressive. Today, in the dark fog of this December night, it was a house out of anyone's nightmares. The lights were off in the house that had been a temporary resting place for so many dead bodies over the years. We walked up the steps to the front door and the porch area was inky black. I activated the torchlight on my phone. There was a bright hint of surprising cheeriness on the door as the now deceased Vera Daniels Christmas wreath became visible. This was a faint spark of home. Homely, but not tasteful. It was a gaudy old artificial wreath, faded holly with coloured fairy lights that had dead batteries. Chris tried a couple of keys before he found the right one and opened the door into the jet black of the hall. I thought I heard a moan, but perhaps it was the front door hinges as it swung open. As neither of us had been here before, we didn't know where the light switches were. I shone my phone torch along the walls until I found it. It wasn't that close to the front door. We'd have to change that. The light clicked on, and I realised that the wreath was the cheeriest thing about this place. Vera hadn't updated the decor for years. I could only see dark wood, dark wallpaper. I suppose it would match the dark mood of the grieving that was this place's bread and butter. 
From what we could see, the lower floor was mainly the business. The upper level had been Vera's quarters. The front room was the waiting area. It said so on the door. We looked in, finding several sofas and a coffee table. It was bland decor again. However, I imagined that it would have been just right for the people who were waiting to see their loved ones in a coffin. The next room was obviously where they went to visit the deceased. This was split into two separate grieving areas. Next to that was Vera's office, opposite the visitor's toilet. The back room was huge, at least two rooms knocked into one, and this was the room that I really didn't want to go in. There were several metal tables on wheels. A storage area consisting of drawers and shelves with liquids and medical apparatus inside. There were also three large fridges, all about six or seven feet long. They are empty, I asked Chris. She didn't die halfway through a job, did she? I was hoping that Chris knew the answer, and thank God he did. No, it happened at the time when she'd just done a funeral. She had um, no uh, current clients, Chris said. Oh, Chris shouted loudly. It was not the time or place to be suddenly shouting something out. What? I screeched. I've got a letter which I have to open when I get into the house. I've forgotten about it, Chris said. Weird, I commented. Of course, this was about the fifth weird thing that had happened since I'd met him today. I was starting to get used to weird. I wasn't getting used to Mort House, though. He opened the letter, and from where I stood, I could see an old lady's writing on the paper. It was dated three years ago. It wasn't a long one. My darling Christopher, I wish to give you love for so many years, and was denied. So I leave you the one thing I have, this house. It is a blessing and a curse, and I hope you are better equipped to deal with it than I was. Don't let him out, whatever happens. All my love, Vera Daniels. In brackets, Granny. Don't tell me there's one left in the fridge after all. What does that mean? Let him out, as if he's trying to get out. Oh my God, is there a living corpse in one of them? A cannibal? I screeched. I was beginning to panic. Don't be soft, Jenny. Of course there isn't. Besides that... This note was written three years ago. But for your sake, we'll check the fridges, okay? Chris said. I could tell he didn't want to do it. Nevertheless, he was the man of the family and this was his problem. One point is, if there is someone in there, Chris said, nodding to the fridges, opening them up to check means you'll let them out into the room. Chris no, don't say that. Just open it a bit, I said. A happier proposition struck me. For all we know, Vera could be talking about a cat. A house cat, I shrugged. Let's hope that's what it is anyway, Chris said. He boldly walked to the first fridge, knocking on its cold metal door. Stop what you're doing in there at once, Chris said, winking at me. Of course there was no reply. Chris took a big breath and opened it slightly, just enough for him to see in there. Then, without warning, 
which I would have actually appreciated, he swung the door open. Inside was a shiny metal fridge, which was completely empty. One down, two to go, Chris said. He walked to the next fridge, repeating the process, happily swinging it back again to show that it was shiny and clean inside. The third one he took less time with, as the other two had boosted his confidence. It's cold by this one, Chris said. When he got to opening the door, he discovered the reason why it was so cold was it hadn't been shut properly. Chris swung the door back again. This one didn't look as nice as the other two. It was probably the first one that Vera had bought. It was definitely an older model and quite battered inside. The metal was dull and this one had only room for one body. The other two could house two each. This one had objects stored underneath in boxes. Well, whoever or whatever it is, they're not in these fridges, Chris said. I took a big sigh of relief. Let's go and visit Granny's upstairs, shall we? Chris said, smiling. I reckon we'll find that cat. Hope someone's been feeding it since Vera went, I said. That's the point, Chris said, looking a little worried. We found the switch to the landing light and walked up the stairs. Right on the landing, before we could see in any rooms, we found a twin pet food bowl, still containing dried pet food and water. Not that far away was the cat's collar. From my own experience, I discovered that they got out of their collars as much and as often as they could. I picked it up, reading the name tag out loud. Whiskey, it says, I told Chris. Well, at least we know she was partial to the hard stuff. I have about ten facts about Gran now. I feel I'm getting to know her better after all these years, Chris said. And what she liked most. Vera must have liked a wee dram, I said, gesturing towards the collar. I placed it on the banister at the top. We would put that back on the cat's neck when we found him. The first door was the bathroom. It had an old-fashioned avocado bathroom suite installed, naturally. The next room, the living room, looked out over the back of the property, and I have to admit it looked quite comfortable if you didn't mind old lady chic, circa 1970. The room in the corner seemed to be a spare bedroom. Vera had been using this as a storeroom for her summer clothes. Once in the kitchen, I was happy to see that she'd gone as far as buying a microwave, but she didn't manage to get as far as newfangled items, such as a dishwasher or coffee machine. She probably just drank tea or whiskey. When we got to the main bedroom at the front, we could see that the door was open about six inches. This would be where whiskey was. Probably the cat had been enjoying sleeping on his mistress's bed, perhaps pining to be by her side. As we opened the door in the moonlight, we could see that Vera had favoured blankets and sheets rather than a continental quilt. One side of the bed had a pile of dresses on it, the coat hangers still attached. I had the idea that someone had needed to come and find her a dress to be buried in. Whiskey wasn't on top of the blankets. As there were only two bedside tables, a double wardrobe and the bed in the room, by process of elimination, the cat must be underneath it. I knelt down, preparing to look under the bed. 
Whiskey? I said. There was no response. Whiskey, come here, boy, Chris said a little louder. Then we did see something. A movement, rhythmic in nature, beneath the blankets. I stood up, pointing at the sheets. I think we found puss, I said. I hope you haven't got a mousey under there. Come on out, you've got new owners, Chris said happily. I flung back the blankets and we found whiskey. Or what was left of him. Mainly, it was the grey carcass of a cadaverous man that was on the bed. The man had been long dead. His skin was like parchment. The remnants of whiskey, who had obviously been a tortoiseshell cat, were around his mouth and down the front of his white shirt and black tie. The shirt's collar was baggy around his neck, the throat wasted and sunken. The movement I'd seen was the corpse's bony fingers beating out like a drum on his chest. The dead man moved to his feet to get out of the bed. I could see pieces of skin sticking to the blankets, grey and lifeless. Now he was sitting up. I stepped back. His head was tilted downwards as if his neck could not hold it. His eyes rolled up towards me. Come here, Chris uttered, grabbing me by the arm. Someone let him out. It was never the cat. The wardrobe door creaked open and out stepped an old lady. She was just as dead as the man, but not so emaciated. Her hair was long, wispy and silver in the moonlight. Her face was the pale butter colour of death, the texture of plastic. She smiled, splitting the stitches that held her lips together. I let him out, Vera said. We are your grandparents, Chris. It's time we got to know you. That was a dark Christmas tale, written and read by Angela Blythe. I hope you enjoyed it. If you want to find out more about further stories in this series or my other work, please go to www.angelablythe.com. <laughs>